0: Hey, good morning, you guys. You can grab a seat, and as you do, let me say welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Gavin, and I get to serve this church family as one of the pastors. And uh, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, that's in the Old Testament and the prophets. If you need to use your table of contents, there's no shame. It's tricky to find, even for me. So I head to Ezekiel chapter 34. And uh, as you do that, let me especially welcome the kiddos. You guys rocked it in the choir. Yeah? I couldn't even stay away. I went to take my son up there and somehow got stuck singing, so uh, I got to enjoy the choir with you, but you guys did great. And this is a family Sunday. We always want to remind our congregation kids are always welcome in the Sunday morning gathering every single week, uh, no, matter, uh, no matter their age. And the kids are always welcome, but especially during Advent. Uh, we bring all the kiddos in here. Uh, And we have what's called a family Sunday, where there's no Sunday school going on during the gathering. We want the kids in the room. We love and welcome and receive the kiddos, just as Jesus Christ did. And so, uh, kiddos, we're glad to have you in the room. If you're sitting next to a kid and they get squirmy and wiggly and loud... If you frown at them or scowl at them, I want you to know that that's why we have security, okay? It's not to keep bad guys out. It's to keep you from scowling at the children. And so uh, be nice to the kids. We welcome and receive the children. And uh, so welcome to you guys. I also just want to say it was an incredibly uh, beautiful, difficult, hard week. Uh, You guys know we lost our dear brother, Mark Jensen, a week ago last Friday. And uh, in the midst of tragedy, father of 10 kids, uh, it's been so neat to see the body of Christ. Uh, really grieve with this dear family, the Jensen's. Um, I have seen the witness and the love of the people of God in ways that I haven't since planning this church. And uh, just Friday, we had his uh, celebration of life gathering right here, and I think there must have been about 600 people here. A lot of you were in the room that maybe didn't even know Mark personally, uh, but you took off work, you showed up, you wrote a check, you served, you helped, because as the Bible says, when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt, and we grieve together. And uh, just as a pastor, as a fellow member of this church, I'm just very proud of the witness of the body of Christ. It was a very beautiful thing. So please do continue to pray for the Jensen's, dear family that we love so much, part of this body. Uh, They would appreciate your ongoing love and support, and thank you for everything that you have done uh, so far. Uh, I want to introduce this morning's theme of Advent. This is the Advent season, and I realized there were like 15 of you here last week because there was a little bit of snow. So, hashtag weak sauce. Cameron did a great job introducing Advent. I'm going to do it again because some of you are soft and don't come to church when it snows. The Lord will forgive you, but honestly, people, it's Nebraska, Okay it's Nebraska. You'll get here fine. So Advent, some of you, I realize, grew up in church traditions where you celebrated Advent every year. Some of you are like, what's Advent? I don't even know how to spell Advent. Is that like the calendar with the chocolate inside? Well, sort of. So let me explain Advent. The word Advent simply means coming or arrival. And so the Advent season is the four Sundays prior to Christmas wherein we are doing two things. We are anticipating the arrival of Jesus first by kind of getting ourselves in the mindset of the Old Testament saints, and they're longing for this promised Messiah. Additionally, as New Testament believers, we are looking forward to the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. We realize that he is going to come again, and so we both look back at his first advent. We look forward to his second advent. Now, if that confuses you, uh, let me put up a little simplified map. I don't know if any of y'all have been lost in a shopping mall. That's a horrible place to be. But then you find the map that says, you are here. And you're like, thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, this is a similar simplified map of just sort of, all of history, and redemptive history in particular. And so that bottom line at the very beginning just represents the beginning of time. God created the heavens and the earth. We know that the first man and woman fell into sin and uh, rebelled against God, and the Bible calls that, and theologians call that, the fall, when the world creation and the crown of his creation, the man and the woman, were no longer as we were designed to be. We had been separated from God. And throughout that Old Testament period, God still had his people on the earth. They related to him through faith. They related through the Old Testament code. There were prophets and priests and kings. There was a sacrificial system. Um, And uh, the people looked forward to the coming Messiah over and over and again. There were Old Testament prophecies saying, hey, God himself is going to come incarnate. He is going to be the king. When Jesus Christ came at the first Advent, that's what we call Christmas, Jesus came, the first thing he said in the Gospel of Mark is, Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the theological phrase for that is that he inaugurated the kingdom of God. Since then, The kingdom of God has existed on the earth, not as a geopolitical king with an earthly king. It's an invisible kingdom made up of everyone who surrenders to King Jesus in our hearts and in our minds. And so the kingdom of God is here. Jesus ushered it in. But you'll notice where it says you are here that that bottom line didn't end. That just represents that even though we exist in the kingdom of God, we still exist in a fallen world that we call the kingdoms of the world. And so we live in this tension wherein we celebrate the benefits of Jesus's first advent, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, the local church, the promise of heaven, the assurance of salvation, and yet we're not quite enjoying the full benefits, because we still live in a broken, fallen world. We've seen that even this week as a church family, and so we are awaiting the second advent, when Jesus comes, when sin and death and Satan will be no more. They'll be thrown into the pit, the king that we now trust by faith, we will then see by sight and live in his kingdom eternally without interference. And so that's where we are on the map. And what we're going to do over this series, Cameron introduced it last week with Emmanuel, but each week we're going to look at a different promise of the Messiah, starting the Old Testament and tracing it through and saying, who, who is this promised Messiah? And each week the outline is going to be essentially the same. Okay, We're going to start in the Old Testament and we're going to look at the promise of Messiah fill in the blank. The second point is going to be the arrival of, look at how that promise came to be, and then our longing for. What is the future-oriented promise in regard to that promise or identity of Jesus? And so this morning, the fill in the blank is going to be Jesus, our good shepherd. The promise we're looking at is Jesus as our good shepherd. That's this morning. So to get our hearts and minds, let me um, ask you a very deep theological question this morning about sheep. What do you call a quiet sheep? It's a sheep. (laughs) Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Bring the band on up. We're going to pray and go home. No, it gets better. Hold your applause till the end, please. Uh, Number two, what do you call a sheep with a machine gun? A bad idea. One more. My son and I worked on these. Grady, got you, boo, right here. Last one is this. What is a sheep's favorite car? Lamborghini! <laughs> Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Someone has dialed in. So with that deep theological introduction to the idea of shepherd and sheep, uh, I would point out that Scripture more than 500 times in all 66 books refers to either shepherd or sheep. And in the Bible, most predominantly, when the Bible talks about shepherds and sheep, it's analogous for who God is and how he relates to his people. So the sheep are always God's people, and the shepherds are always the leader of God's people. Ultimately, God himself is the shepherd to his people. And so to get our minds around this idea, I realize that some of us are city folk in the room. I realize being in Nebraska, many of us are rural folk in the room. So some of you have raised sheep, you've shown sheep in 4-H. Some of you one time glued a cotton ball to a piece of construction paper with some stick glue, and that's about as close as you've gotten, amen? And so I need our rural friends to help out our city friends with a little introduction to sheep, okay? So number one, um, are sheep known for their intelligence, farm friends? No, not exactly. Number two, are sheep known for their big claws, sharp teeth, and just natural self-defense mechanisms? Not so much. Uh, Number three, farm friends, are sheep known for their uh, fierce, independent living? No, they are not. They are to live in a flock. And so sheep are about the simplest and least threatening animals of all of the animal kingdom. In fact, if I said, look out, there's a wild animal loose in the sanctuary, Many of you would scream and jump into your seat, including my wife. Uh, if I said, "Oh, the wild animal is a sheep," you would hop down and say, "Let us pet the sheep. Where is this cute sheep They are not threatening uh, animals; they are defenseless, simple, soft animals, uh, and they are not designed to live on their own. A sheep on its own in the wilderness is called a dead sheep. they just don 't live they will not make it long and so This biblical analogy uh, points out a couple things. One, it points out, before we even get into the verses, we've learned from the analogy that we are, as God's people, designed to be flocked together. We are are communal critters, if you will. We are designed to be under the care of a good shepherd who's going to lead us to life, who's going to protect us from danger. And uh, so what we're going to do this morning as we sort of go through redemptive history, looking at this theme of Jesus is the good shepherd, um, I think a couple things are going to come into view for us. As we look at the Word of God, number one, I think the Word of God is going to humble us because we're going to see that we are not fiercely independent creatures. We are dependent. We are made to be led by a good and caring shepherd who does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Number two, I'm praying that the Word of God is a comfort to many people in this room. Because anytime we talk about leadership, the shepherding care of other people, I just realize in the fallen and broken world that we are in, there are people in the room who have been hurt by people that were supposed to protect you. And so I want you to see in this text this morning that Jesus sees you. He is your good shepherd. He is coming for you. And number three, I'm praying that the Word of God builds in our hearts a sense of anticipation, a sense of longing, that at Advent we wouldn't only look back to the first Advent, that we do that, but that what we would realize in our hearts is, man, we live in a broken world. There's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of redemptive things. But you know what? We need the shepherd to come back. We need him to come and usher us into our final and consummate pasture and enjoy the full benefits of the good shepherd. And so let's get right into the text this morning, Ezekiel 34. The first category is going to be this, the promise of a good shepherd. The promise of a good shepherd. We're going to look back in the Old Testament say, What did did God foreshadow? What did he tell of this good shepherd that he would come? And as we get into our text, real quick for context, remember, this is the Old Testament. God had established his covenant people. He had entrusted them under the care of shepherds. They were uh, largely priests uh, who oversaw the the priestly system. They were the elders of the community, and they were to be shepherds of God's people who were to lead them and feed them and protect them. Let's see how they do, starting in verse 1. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered. Over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. City Light, if this was a scorecard that God is giving to the shepherds of Israel, would you say they got an A or an F? This is like Chris Haruska at a spelling bee, okay? These are not high marks. Didn't stand a chance. These shepherds uh, were not good shepherds. God is saying, listen, I told you to feed the sheep and you ate lamb chops. You benefited from them. They were supposed to benefit from you. You were supposed to protect the sheep, but instead you took advantage of the sheep. You were supposed to gather the sheep with gentleness, but instead you scattered the sheep with harshness. These were not good shepherds, and God is not happy about it. The historical context of this scattering and what what is actually happening geopolitically, the nation of Israel had just been taken over by Babylon. They had been literally scattered, sent into exile. They are now refugees gathering along the Kabar Canal, other places displaced from their home, away from the temple, losing their sense of identity. And in this passage, God says, shepherds, it's your fault. He pins the blame on the leaders, He says, he's saying, as it were, you you were supposed to protect the people of God from the enemies of God. You were supposed to feed the people of God, the word of God. You were supposed to guide the people of God into the ways of God, but you didn't do that. You had a buffet and the whole thing went to pot. He pins the blame on the shepherds and said, they are scattered because you allowed false gods to come in. You You didn't purge the land from the idols. Instead, You took advantage of your own cares and not those of the people. This is really nothing new, is it? We see this in leadership all the time. We live in a broken world, and uh, we have various levels of shepherds that are over us, and we are shepherds over certain small flocks under our care, right? So in our lives, we have pastors, parents, politicians, bosses, coaches, administrators, organizational heads, and we find ourselves underneath leadership. Conversely, we find ourselves in leadership. And we can see just through cultural observation that in general, when the leaders lead well, we tend to flourish. When someone in leadership takes advantage of those entrusted to their care, things fall apart really, really quick. And so in general, a servant husband will tend to have a thriving wife. A sacrificial boss will tend to have a healthy organization. An abusive father can actually cripple generations downstream. A controlling and manipulative pastor can leave a wake of hundreds of wounded and disillusioned sheep. We've seen it. We've been there. We've been that person. We've experienced it. I've been on both sides. I've been the bad shepherd when I've reacted to my kids out of anger or impatience or selfishness rather than patience and love and discipleship and what is best for them. I've been the heavy-handed boss with employees that that seek to get change and action with a heavy hand rather than understanding their heart, being a servant leader, graciously walking alongside of them. So too, I've been under leadership that was toxic, and it has effects. I've been under manipulative, controlling leadership. I've been hurt by people who were supposed to entrust me, uh, who were supposed to help me and serve me, and it hurts. Odds are everyone in the room is on both sides in various levels of this. But in this moment in the sermon, I do just want to say, if you are someone who has been particularly wounded, abused, hurt by someone who was supposed to uh, protect you, defend you, but they took advantage of you, I want you to see the heart of God in Ezekiel 34. What you see is that God sees you. He's not aloof to your pain. He saw it happen, and it angers the heart of God when people in leadership take advantage of people underneath of them. And so if you're wondering, man, does God even care? Did God even notice he sees you, he knows your pain, and he cares, and he is doing something about it? So let's look at Ezekiel 34. What's he going to do? Is he going to gather up all the shepherds and say, hey, we need to uh, close the office for a day of training. We're going to pipe in some shepherd training on the DVD, and uh, let's, let's get everyone right. Or is he just going to fire them all? Maybe he's going to say, hey, let's just wholesale fire the whole lot. Let's put out a shepherding call on ZipRecruiter and see if we can get a better version of some shepherds in here. What's he going to do to these guys? He's come down pretty hard. Well, let's look at verse 11. Herein we see the Old Testament Advent promise. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And skip down to verse 15. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord God. God didn't say, hey, we're going we're gonna to get these guys right. We're going we're gonna to send shepherd version 2.0 and do a little better. He says, listen, you're my sheep, and I'm going to put an end to this in between. I myself will be your shepherd. I myself will come. I will feed you. I will lead you. I will protect you. I will be your defender. God says, I will be the shepherd. What a promise. And these people of God who are scattered, and they are waiting, and they are wondering, hear this promise in the middle of judgment, and in their heart is sown a seed of anticipation that good shepherd would come. And so they waited, and they waited, and they waited. But for the Old Testament people of God, their Advent season wasn't four Sundays prior to Christmas. Hundreds of years, they're waiting, and they're wondering, and they're longing, and they're asking, will God make good on his promise? Many have been displaced apart from their culture, apart from the temple. Their kids are coming up in a now pagan culture, and they're wondering, God, are you going to make good? We are losing our identity as the people of God, the promises of God, the scriptures. We haven't heard them in generations. And they waited, and they wondered, would the shepherd come? And now, with the sense of longing and wondering and anticipation in your mind's eye, I want you to look through those feelings to a future scene. A baby has been born in Bethlehem. The mom claims to be a virgin. There's a lot of mystery surrounding this kid. He's now grown up and people are saying that he can do miracles. He can cast out demons. This man claims to forgive sins. He's begun teaching in the synagogues. And the whole world is looking in on this young man saying, who is this? And with that in view, here's the second section. I want you to turn to John chapter 10. We're going to look at the arrival of the shepherd Chapter 10, starting in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. If you're a first century Jew and you've been waiting and you have been wondering and you have been longing, you know the promise of Ezekiel 34. You hear these words of Jesus and you realize the shepherd has come. His name is Jesus Christ. The The profoundness, the the pervasive reach of what this means cannot be overstated. For centuries, since the beginning of time, since the fall in the Old Testament period, God had to relate, or men had to relate to God through a mediator. They had to go to a priest. They had to confess their sins. They had to go to some fallen man to get access to God. And that's where they were abused. That's where they were hurt. That's where they were neglected. Now God says, no, no more. No more sacrificial system, no more priests, no more in between. I will be your shepherd. No more mediation. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the God-man Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the good shepherd who came to lay down his life for the sheep. This is not a small incidental thing. This profoundly shaped the way that all of humanity can now relate to God. God said, I will be your good shepherd. This means Gavin is not your priest. Don't call me father. I'm not a mediator. We are but shepherds. Under the shepherd, you relate to God through Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ, helping one another understand that well. Now, I want to explain and help um, us identify five truths, five benefits to us, God's sheep, of Jesus Christ being our good shepherd that we see from this text. So let me dip down into the text really quick. I'm going to highlight from these seven verses five Um, benefits that we receive uh, with Jesus being our good shepherd. You can take some notes if you want. Number one is this, Jesus knows his sheep. We see it in the text in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That means if Jesus is your shepherd, if you've given him your sins, received him as Savior, as Lord, he knows your name, he knows your story, he knows your history, he knows what you're going through. Um, Whenever we first planted City Light, Uh, That first year when there was about 100 people, Chris and I knew everyone's name. We prided ourselves. It didn't matter if you were two or 102. No one was 102. We were mostly young. We knew everyone's name. And it was our goal to have everyone in the church through our home for a meal. And we did it. We shared our stories. We heard their testimonies. We broke bread. We laughed. We knew the whole little flock of God. This morning, I greeted at the door. I might be batting about 300. I'm just going to confess that. Does Gavin know my name? Probably not. If I called you bro, definitely not. And I'm sorry. I am working on this. It is a goal of mine, and it's not okay. We are going to get there, okay? So uh, I think last year Chris hired an intern. I still don't know his name. It's just the pace of things. I'm working on it. The struggle is real. But I say that to say the struggle is not real for Jesus. He never needs a name tag. He's not pulling you up on Facebook because he can't remember what your name is. He knows your name. He knows your story. Jesus shepherds his sheep from a place of intimate knowledge. One of the reasons it's so important that we understand the divinity of Christ along with his humanity, he relates to you as a fellow human, but he has the capacity of God himself, which means you being finite, him being infinite, he has unlimited capacity to dial into your story, to know your name, to give you undivided what would feel like his full attention into your life. Jesus knows his sheep. That's number one. Here's the second thing I would highlight. Jesus speaks to his sheep. So Jesus knows you and he talks to you. Verse 16, and they will listen to my voice. And then again down in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. At this time when Jesus said this, the context, the people there would have known exactly what he was talking about. In a shepherding culture, you would have multiple shepherds with their flocks all sharing a field, all grazing, and so you have a mixed flock. And when one shepherd was ready to move on, he would call out to his sheep, and the sheep would know the unique sound and nuances of his voice, and his sheep and his sheep alone would leave the mixed flock, and they would follow their shepherd in obedience, moving on. Jesus is saying that's what he does. He calls, he speaks to his children, he knows their name, and he calls them by name, and we hear his voice. And we follow him. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus speaks to you. I wonder if you've ever read a passage of scripture or heard a passage of scripture taught um, in, in a sermon and you felt like, oh my goodness, does everyone know? You know, <laughs> He was preaching right to me. I read that verse and it spoke right to me. That's Jesus speaking to his sheep. It happened this week. I'm reading my Bible, I'm half awake. It's a pretty vanilla quiet time. I don't even remember what I'm reading. And all of a sudden the verse Jumps out at me and God spoke a word right into my situation. God speaks to his sheep. God knows you by name and He He's a He's not a mute shepherd, He's a talking shepherd, and He's caring for you. He's speaking to you. If you're a sheep, you know what His voice sounds like. You know what it sounded like when He first called you into repentance and faith. You know what it sounds like when He reminds you of His promises. You know what His voice sounds like when He's calling you to turn from sin. Do you know what that is? That isn't a voice of judgment. That's the voice of a caring shepherd saying, listen, that's dangerous, daughter of mine. That's dangerous, son of mine. Get away, little sheep. You know what it sounds like. The question is just always, are we listening? Do we listen to the voice of our shepherd? Amen. So number one, Jesus knows his sheep. Number two, Jesus speaks to his sheep. Number three, this is a unique one that we see in the text. Jesus unites his sheep. Verse 16, he says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So here, in context, Jesus has a Jewish flock. He's speaking to Jewish people. And what he's telling them is that he, being the good shepherd, he's going to one day have a very big flock. And that big flock is going to include all the nations and races and cultures and languages of the entire world. In City Light, that's exactly what happened. At this time, Jesus is speaking to a little Jewish flock, and today, Billions of people on the planet claim to know, love, follow, and walk with the good shepherd. It is the largest movement in the history of the world. And if you know Jesus Christ as your good shepherd, you are a part of a miraculous, big, beautiful flock that exists all over this globe. Amen? So Jesus knows his sheep. He speaks to his sheep. He gathers and unifies his sheep as the one true shepherd. Number four, Jesus stays committed to his sheep. He says it in verse 12, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Isn't it true that when you have ownership of something, you treat it very differently than when you don't have ownership? Any of you who have ever driven a rental car are a living parable of this truth. Amen? Oh, don't pretend like you don't do it. I could tell you the zero to 60 time of any rental car I've ever driven. I have no problem putting the pedal into the floorboard while leaving the rental place out of the airport and getting into the on-ramp. Y'all can judge me, whatever. Maybe you run a rental business. I don't know. Everyone's doing it, okay? So you'd be surprised how quick a Kia Sorento can get up and off the ground. It's a four-banger, but man, the new ones, they will really move. Now, this morning, I got in my truck. I let it warm up properly. I accelerated at a very gracious speed. I parked a little bit further away this morning so as to avoid unnecessary dordings. Why? Because you treat something you have ownership of very differently than something that you don't. And what Jesus is saying here is that the shepherds of Ezekiel 34 treated the sheep like a rental car. Why? They didn't have ownership. They weren't that valuable. They were doing a job for a paycheck. And Jesus is saying, it's not going to be like that with me. Why? Because I have ownership of you. Jesus is saying, you are mine, and I am yours, and we belong together. And so he's going to care for his sheep. He's not going to bail when things get difficult. Renters bail. Hired hands bail, right? People who don't have ownership, they see danger coming, Jesus says, and they say, sheep, get in the way, and they flee. But the good shepherd says, no, when the danger comes, I'm going to get the sheep behind me, and I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to lay down my life. In fact, that's the fifth one. And the last one, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Down in verse 18, he goes on to say that no one takes his life, but he lays it down of his own accord. Here's what Jesus is showing us. He wants us to know that he was not the victim of a human execution. He was not the martyr whose life was ended as a tragedy. The good shepherd came to be the sacrificial lamb. It's amazing. What that means is that Jesus' shepherding function, his leadership is not just telling us what to do, protecting us from danger, giving us moral instruction. He came to actually be a substitutionary sacrifice. The way he leads his sheep is becoming the lamb that would be slain in our place. He's pointing us to the future gospel. The good shepherd would come and what? Go to a cross in our place for our sins. Why is it important that he was the good shepherd? Because the good shepherd had to lay down his life for the bad sheep, which is you and me. Why? That we might have access to the Father like he has for all of eternity as one of the Trinity. He lays down his life for the sheep. That's the gospel. Do you know the good shepherd? He has laid down his life for you. He would love to take your sins and give you eternal life as you trust him by faith. For those of you who are shepherd to the good shepherd, he knows your name. He speaks to you. He gathers you. He does not bail on you. He has laid down his life for you. That's where we're at. The first advent, the good shepherd has come. But yet we're in kind of this unique place still. Throw up that slide again one more time. The little map, it says you are here. And so the good shepherd has come. We have all the benefits of the king coming, the shepherd coming, the forgiveness of sins, right, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the benefit of the body of Christ, the assurance of heaven, but we're still in this broken world. And so let me just give a little bit of pastoral encouragement to how do we live in this in between. The good shepherd has come, but the second advent hasn't come. What that means is this, we are still going to live under the leadership of others, parents, politicians, employers, and bosses. And listen, we need to learn to respect and obey that leadership. We can't jettison all of those things, and yet we're going to have to realize that it will be imperfect at best. And so even as we submit to and and, and wisely, when appropriate, submit to godly leadership that is over us, we need to attach our ultimate trust for leadership to the good shepherd himself, We just need to simply realize parents at times will disappoint us, politicians will frustrate us, bosses may let us down. They are not God, but our good shepherd Jesus Christ never will. So even in the midst of disappointing shepherding, we need to look to our good shepherd and say, oh no, the good shepherd is here. I am not alone. He is with me and he is helping me. Furthermore, I would just press in those of us who are in places of leadership. let me say it this way. There is one big flock, right? And that is Jesus's flock, and he is the chief shepherd. Now, within God's big flock, there are smaller flocks. We call these local churches, and they have shepherds. They would be elders or pastors or lay leaders or city group leaders, and we are to help shepherd the flock of God as under shepherds, not the shepherd, but under the chief shepherd, who is our senior pastor. Amen? He is our lead pastor. He is our chief shepherd. And so we give shepherding leadership. And within the little flock, there's even littler flocks called the family. And I wanna say, the shepherd of the little family, moms and dads, if I could just talk to you. It is our job to shepherd the little flock entrusted to our care. And what that means is that kids are not an obstacle to our freedom, they are not a burden on our finances. They are not in the way of our hobbies. They are God's sheep that we are stewards of to help them see and walk with the good shepherd. And so what that means is is we do the best that we can as broken shepherds. Um, We need to look to the good shepherd and walk with the good shepherd. If we're to be a good shepherd of the sheep entrusted into our care, Amen. Whether we're parents or we are bosses or organizational leaders, the kingdom of God comes when the values of the king come down to his people that we might lead like he has led us. What does that mean? Well, one, if the good shepherd knows our name, if he knows our stories, we need to know the people that we lead. Moms and dads, your kids, each one of them is unique in their own right. They're going to have their own proclivity towards sin and weaknesses. They're going to have their own strengths and beautiful way that God has wired them. Moms and dads, do you know your kids? Do you study your kids? And do you invest in your kids to help them throw and grow and thrive as image bearers of God and agents of his kingdom in the world? Second, the good shepherd speaks to his sheep. And so do your kids hear Bible verses from your mouth? Can I say that more bluntly? Do you read the Bible with your kids? Do you speak God's truth into their life and help them grow and flourish and grow as disciples of Jesus Christ? And furthermore, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That means, guys, we're going to need to die to ourselves, to hobbies, to free time, to our self-interest, so that those entrusted to our care might thrive and flourish. And I just want to say, parents in the room, so many of you are doing an amazing job. I'm so proud of our church family. I love the little kids in the room. It's my desire to bring up a whole new generation of kids that, don't, that say, man, I didn't hate church. I didn't you know, resent church. I love the people of God. I love singing to Jesus. I love the shepherds that have been trusted to my life, and that we would do that together as a church family. Amen? So number one, the Old Testament people awaited for the shepherd. At Christmas, we celebrate that the shepherd has come. I want to really quickly, because I'm out of time, look at our third category, which is our longing For the shepherd. And so there is a future day on the calendar. That second advent to yet come in which we are to anticipate. And we get a picture of this out of Revelation 7. Of this future day, it says that God's flock from all the nations of the earth will be gathered around the Lamb who is on the throne. That's Jesus himself. And then look at the description starting in verse 15. It says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So just like the Old Testament believers had a day that they were looking forward to, The good shepherd is coming. So too, we have a real date on the calendar when the king is coming back, when the good shepherd is coming back. And it says what? We will hunger no more. We will thirst no more. He will shelter us. He will protect us from our enemies. It says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's like my kids' Jesus storybook Bible so poetically says, for the people of God, it will be as though every sad thing comes untrue. That day, that Revelation 7 describes is a real day on the calendar. I, don't, I want you to not miss this. This is not hyperbole. This is not fantasy. This is a future reality that B- the Bible is drawing our attention to. A real date on the calendar that the Good Shepherd is coming back for. And City Light, I just want to implore us, would we anticipate that day? Would we long for that day? There's a lot of days on the calendar that I get excited for. I'm excited for the 2019 Huskers, y'all. I really think it's gonna be a good year. I think we're over the hump. I think there are good days ahead of us. I'm excited for sledding and splitting wood with my family this afternoon. I'm excited for stretchy pants and Sunday night football this evening, some good teams playing. It's good to look forward to things. There is one day that on the Christian's horizon, we should all anticipate more than any other. That is when our good shepherd is coming. And on that last day, we will see the good shepherd that we have known for years by faith. We will see him by, by sight and we will benefit from his loving care. Sin will be no more. Pain will be no more. The shepherd that we trusted, we will then see and embrace in his presence. And so um, let me just wrap it up this way. This Advent season, would we be forward-looking people? Would we not only look back, yes, we must look back, we must celebrate uh, Christmas, we must give gifts, and, and, and remember, so the best good gift, Jesus Christ himself, but would we also look forward? Even as we cheer and celebrate on Christmas morning, would part of our hearts have room for a longing to say, man, this is pretty amazing, but better is coming. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, is coming, and on that day, he will make all things right. So during this Advent season, I don't know if Cam said it last week, but we're not going to celebrate communion. Communion, we do every Sunday year round for the most part, but in Advent, you know, communion is looking back and remembering. Advent, we want to anticipate. And so we're going to postpone communion until after the first of the year. And so to respond, why don't we stand up, let us pray to the good shepherd, and then we will sing. And so, Jesus, in this moment, we want to say thank you. We worship you, our good shepherd. Oh, how the world needs good leaders. How we are broken. How we, just like the saints of Ezekiel 34, needed a good shepherd. How we need you. God, I want to pray for the tender hearts of anyone who has been bruised or broken or abused by bad leadership in their life. That this morning you would minister to them this truth, that you are their good shepherd. You have seen them. You are with them. And you are going to heal all their scars on that last day. For those in our church that are entrusted with shepherding leadership on some level, God, would you give us your grace to not follow the patterns of the world? where the strong, take advantage of the weak, but would we too lay down our lives for the benefits of others? Would that kind of good shepherding be true among us? And now, God, I pray for our hearts that there would be an eager sense of anticipation and longing as we fix our gaze to the horizon and say, come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, good shepherd, we need you. Would you come again? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.